0: And so today we continue our Living Sacrifice mini-series, looking at our verse for the year. And so we're going to go straight to that verse this morning. Our reading is Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. And if you missed last week for any reason, the audio is up on our website. You can feel free to jump on that and listen to it again. Um, Because last week we did a bit of a... A bit of a recap over the verses for the year over the last few years. What God's been saying to us. What he's been challenging us and growing us in. And and we brought with that a look of our own personal lives, but as well as that of the church. And this is, again, for us as a church, but also I believe very much for us as individuals. And so Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, on page 1139, says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. It's an amazing, amazing scripture. And as we said last week, this part of Romans, I mean, Romans in itself is is written by uh, the Apostle Paul, and it is written almost as his gospel. Some people have kind of called it the gospel according to Paul, because it's where he lays out the Christian faith as he sees it and understands it. And as I said last week, all the chapters up until this point are him laying out those truths laying out the truths of who God is and what he's done for us as followers of Christ. And he says, therefore, because of all of that, I urge you, I urge you, I urge you. There's something about that urge. I'm not, it's not I suggest to you, hey, I bring it for your consideration. No, no, I urge you. There's a sense of urgency In that, I urge you, it's urgent. You need to pick up on this, guys. That given everything that you know of Christ, everything that you know of God, I urge you, it's urgent. You got to do it. Give your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And we're going to unpack those verses over the next couple of weeks a bit further. And the first thing I feel God really wants to draw out is the fact that we're called to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Again, just to remind us, what is a sacrifice? I think sometimes we use that word far too freely and too liberally. I sacrificed my breakfast this morning. No, I didn't. You know why I didn't? Because the definition of sacrifice is an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. I didn't sacrifice. It wasn't that valued for me. Let's be honest. I got plenty to live off of. I don't value my breakfast that much. In fact, I rarely ever eat breakfast. Terrible of me, I know. But for me to then say I sacrificed my breakfast is actually a lie. Sacrifice is giving up something that we hold valuable and giving that up for something more valuable. And as we said last week, he's saying that actually what we know of God, who God is, what he's done for you, what he's done for me is so valuable. It is the most valuable thing you could ever have, you could ever know, you could ever cherish or hold on to. Do we believe that? First and foremost, is it the most valuable thing in your life? If so, what are we called to sacrifice? And he is saying here, give yourself, give your bodies as a living sacrifice. And the thing is, this language is also really important because in the time of Paul, and all the Jews would have known it, sacrifices were something that they would have physically given and killed. A lamb, a dove. There were sacrifices that were given to kill. And he says, no, 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 no. Don't kill yourself. Give yourself as a living sacrifice. Give yourself. Give your bodies, give all of you. He doesn't just say give your hands every once in a while. Do a bit of work. Give your feet as you walk from place. Oh, give your mouth on occasion so you can talk about God. No, he says give your bodies, your wholeness, all of you. Paul here is saying, give everything of you as a living sacrifice. So it's giving our lives, which I'd imagine we value highly. I hope you value your life. I hope you consider your life something valuable, because if you don't, please come chat with me or somebody, because let me remind you just how awesome you are. God made you. God put his spirit into you. You are highly valued. You are made in his image. You have worth and purpose. But no matter how valuable your life is, do you believe that God and all that he's done for you is more valuable? Because if you believe that he is, if you believe that our faith, what God has done, who he is, and what he's done for you is greater and more valuable than your own life, then we need to sacrifice what we have and who we are for him. And that suddenly becomes really difficult because you go, I like my life. I like my comforts. I like the things I've built up. There are parts of my life I don't like, so I'll sacrifice those bits. But he says, no, your whole body is your everything, sacrifice. So hopefully we value God more highly than our own lives. And he's saying, give all. And to an extent, that's kind of where we landed last week. But he keeps on going. Our sacrifice should be holy and pleasing to God. That's a big Christian word, isn't it? Holy. I said last week I love a good definition. Holy defined is to be dedicated or consecrated to God. Sacred. When in speaking of a person, it is a devoted person to the service of God. Paul says, give your bodies to be holy, to be devoted to God. I think we've talked about the word devotion in the past. To be devoted isn't just, well, I'll give you a bit of my time. I'll sort of kind of love you. I'll sort of kind of do what you say. No, to, To be devoted is to be in. I'm all in. To give time, to give honor, to give effort, to give word, to give feats, hand, all of it, devoted to God. Dedicated to God. So hey, sacrifice your body, yourself, for God. Dedicating yourself to God. Not sacrificing for your own gain. Not sacrificing for your own ego or your pride. Not sacrificing so that somebody else can say, oh, they're a good Christian, aren't they? I saw them serving over there. They were there every Sunday. They've been there every Sunday for the past 45 years. Oh, I also saw that they signed up to help out at the cafe. They are good Christians. It's not about others. You're dedicated. You're dedicated to God. It's about him. About him. But another definition of holy is morally and spiritually excellent. Actually, that our lives should be morally excellent. Morally excellent. That actually we should have good morals. And it sounds so simple. Well, duh, Adrian. Isn't that what following Jesus is about? I mean, in part, yes. But our morals slip sometimes. It's okay to lie to this person about that situation. It's okay sometimes to do something that's not quite so good because it'll end up for the greater good. Or, you know, it's okay to, to, to be judgmental of somebody because they're not doing something that's good. So actually, I'm morally right. So I'm going to place my judgment on them. That's, that's still morally wrong especially when we're called not to condemn, but to love. It's heavy. It's big. And I believe that God is calling us to step into sacrifice that is morally pleasing to Him, that is dedicated to Him. Not to the church, not to GBC, Not to me as a pastor or any of the deacons. You're not dedicating yourselves to us or to me. You're dedicating yourself to God. To do what he calls you to do. To be spiritually excellent. Spending time in prayer. Spending time in song worship. Loving as God has called us to. That's a big one, I believe. There is more about love and how we are meant to relate with each other in terms of love than there is anything else. We're called the greatest commandment of all to love God with everything. And I love it. It's that whole embodying all of yourself. Love God with all of your heart, your mind, soul, and strength. All of you. Give yourself fully in sacrifice, whole bodies. All of you, Jesus says. And then love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandments. And I think there's some of the ones that we struggle with the most. We love God with the parts that we like. And we love the neighbors that we like. But the neighbors that disagree with us or that annoy us or say something different to them, oh, I don't love them as easily. I'll let somebody else love them. Wait, Adrian's the pastor or Sally's a deacon. Jane's a part of the diaconate. She can do, they can love those people. But actually it's all of us. And it's pleasing to God. I think that's so key that when we step into dedicating our lives to God, when we step into living holy lives, when we step into loving him and loving those around us, it's pleasing to God. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I want to please God. Anybody else? Okay, we're sort of awake still. I'll take that. I'll take that. It wasn't like a whoa, but it was a yes. So there was affirmation. We want to please God. And the reason we want to please God isn't because we're trying to earn brownie points, isn't because we're trying to earn our salvation, it's because we believe that he is worthy of it, that he is greater than I am. He is more valuable than me, so I want to please him. But I think oftentimes we have a desire to please, and it gets a bit difficult. <laughs> it's actually to please God is to step out of our comfort zone. It's for me to sacrifice. I don't like that can't I just do it my way, God? No. No, no, you can't. Now, what might us being willing to sacrifice ourselves look like? And the thing is, it'll be different for every single one of us. And it'll be different in every single one of our different situations and circumstances. But one of the times that I experienced someone's sacrifice for me was when I came to faith. I came to faith in a student and young adult ministry and the, the, the young adult pastor was a guy called Derek. And if you know me and you've heard me talk about Derek, he is an amazing friend of mine, a great, great, amazing guy. And there used to be a student and young adult ministry gathering every Tuesday night. And every Tuesday night. Not one was skipped. Every Tuesday night I was there, the gathering would end, I would clear up the gathering with Derek and the rest of the team, and Derek and I would sit in his office for hours. And I'm not just talking like, oh, it was a nice little social chat. It was him sacrificing his time. He was a busy man, still is a busy man, could have used that sleep, but he was investing in me. He was investing in the questions I had. He gave his time, his energy, his sleep for me. He gave sacrificially. And he didn't do it because he worshiped me. He didn't do it for any other reason other than he's giving his whole life to God. And in that moment, I was part of his mission. And so he spoke into my life and spent time in scriptures with me and spent time in prayer with me and spent time answering my ridiculous questions and not laughing at me. He spent time not judging me when I'd come in ridiculously, ridiculously, he spent time with me where I was. He sacrificed. That's a small thing in some respects. And you ask Derek, and he'll openly say, oh, no. (laughs) But you ask him how much he values his sleep. Ask any pastor how much they value their sleep and their rest. (laughs) There's a laughter in the corner from pastors. There you go. He gave up what was valuable to him. Derek is also a massive introvert. Derek is the kind of person who would much rather sit in a room absolutely 100% by himself. 100%. But he sacrificed hour after hour, week after week with a massive extrovert who sucked the life out of him. (laughs) He valued his time alone But he said, hey, actually advancing the kingdom, sharing who God is, sharing his love with this guy who's confused, who's in love with Jesus, but doesn't understand what that means, is more valuable than my time alone right now. Simple example. What might it look like for you? Maybe you're a Derek to somebody. Maybe you are that person to somebody else. Maybe it's something different. Maybe it's stepping out of your comfort zone. When you're at a coffee shop or when you're at the bus stop, to just pray with someone, to just listen to someone, hear their story. What is God asking you to do? It might look like simply stepping out. I don't go into London often in terms of the tube. I'm not a big fan of the tube. I love the tube, but I dislike the tube. I love the tube that there's loads of people. And as an evangelist, that excites me. I'm like, there's people to talk to, people to pray with, people to share God with. Woohoo! I don't like the tube because people like me are usually shunned on the tube. Oh no, there's someone gonna talk to me. Look down. Look at my phone. Look at a book. Look at the newspaper. Don't make eye contact with the loud one. He'll talk to us. And not so long ago, uh, this past term, I was able to take my daughters into London for the youth proms and it was an amazing, amazing time. We got to jump on, on the underground and they loved the trains and we were doing all sorts of stuff and we were going and we went and enjoyed this amazing show um, of young people performing at a standard woohoo and then we got back on the train to head back home. And as we're there, and I'm like massive crowds of people, and I'm making sure that my six-year-old and four-year-old, seven-year-old and four-year-old don't disappear, you know, get stolen or just get lost in a crowd, you know. (laughs) And suddenly I feel God put on my heart this couple which walks in. It's a young couple, and they got luggage with them, and they've obviously been traveling. They, They look tired. They've just gotten there. And I feel God say, they're working on a family. And you need to tell them that I love them and that I know it And that it's all going to be okay. That was my day off. That was my time with my girls. The last thing I wanted to do in that moment, even as an evangelist. Because I'm not sure if you've had kids and you've been running around with kids in the middle of London. That's exhausting. I was on the last leg. I'm like, get me home. The last thing I wanted to do was talk to another person, even though I love it. And God said, talk to them. So we got, I, like, I said, I, because I'm cheeky, I said, God, if they get off where I get off, I'll talk to them. And so we stepped off, and guess what? They followed. So I turned to them, and I said, this is going to sound really crazy. But I feel that God is saying that you're trying for a family, and you want a family, and you need to know that God is with you. And I don't know the difficulties or successes. I don't even know. But just know that God loves you. And they both looked at me like, huh? And oh, no, they didn't share anything. They didn't say, oh, yes, we've been trying, or oh, yes, nothing. They simply said, thanks. A bit strange, but thanks. And they said, we've just been traveling. We look really tired. I was like, oh, yeah, I can tell. It's, I was like, no offense, but you do look tired. We had a little chat, and then they went on their way. And my girls were like, Dad, what was that about? And that moment of me sacrificing time, sac- sacrificing my own comfort, because as much as I'm an extrovert, I still find that uncomfortable. And sacrificing, I was able to hopefully bless someone and share God's love with someone, if nothing else. And I was also able to share with my girls the amazingness of who God is and share with them, not just by speaking, but by doing that actually, if God tells you to do something, you do it. No matter how uncomfortable or tired you may be. It's once that I got it right. I don't always get it right. But it's a sacrifice. It's a simple one, maybe but it's a sacrifice. The next thing that we see in that verse is that sacrifice is our spiritual act of worship. Now, worship defined, again, I love a good definition. Worship is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity, for God. It is feeling or expressing Reverence, honor, glory, adoration to God. That's what worship is. We often in the Christian world talk about worship being when someone stands at an organ at a piano and we sing. That's, that's sung worship. That's not worship. That's sung worship. But any act where we are giving glory to God, where we are lifting him up, where we are elevating him and adoring God, that is worship. And guess what? I love it. Because Paul's saying, hey, y'all, your life, your life should be an act of worship. Your life should be reflecting adoration to God. Does that mean that we walk down the streets? How great is that? God? No. We probably scare some people off. At least I would. That means that actually as we live, the actions we take, the decisions we make, the way we interact with one another, to reflect God I have to reflect that we love God I have to reflect the fact that we believe he is amazing and that he is more amazing than us I have to reflect the fact that we believe he is a miracle worker that he is our savior that he is everything that he says that he is are we walking our day-to-day lives like that i don't know about you but i know i'm not i have glimpses i have moments I have moments where I walk and I'm like, oh, this is for, G. I'm there. And people go, wow. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, woo. And I pray and it's awesome. I have moments <laughs> where worship is the last thing on my mind, in my spirit, or in my walk. Because life is rough sometimes. But you'll see there's an asterisk next to that spiritual word. Because some translations don't actually say spiritual and just for record, again, definition, spiritual relating to or affecting the human spirit or soul as opposed to the material or physical things. Like our body should be spiritual worship. Our souls, not just like raising of hands. And it's, it's our spiritual, it's, our, it's, it's what's in us. But that word spiritual sometimes is defined or written as reasonable. And this I find amazing. First of all, they're very different words. So we take the spiritual, but that our sacrifice is a reasonable act of worship just changes the meaning. It means reasonable definition is it's a sound judgment, it is fair and sensible. I mean, we take that word reasonable, and what Paul is saying is because everything that God has done, everything who He is, all of those things, because of that, it is only fair, it is only fair. It makes sense that you would give your whole bodies a sacrifice to worship. Like, the sacrifice is reasonable. It is fair and sensible. It's the only thing that makes sense. Now, how many of us live our lives in that way, that it makes sense? We talk about it. If God is who he says he is, then it makes sense that we live our lives in that way. Yes, no. Okay. No? Yes. Yeah, hey, we're still with us. It makes sense that if God is who he says he is, it makes sense for us to live the life of worship, of holiness. But we don't always do it. We we reason our ways out of other things. Well, um, I've done my bit. I've served my ways. Oh, I'm too big, I'm too old, I'm too young, they're too young, they don't know, we, I'm too new of a Christian, oh, I'm too old of a Christian, oh, I'm this and the other. Doesn't have a caveat there. Paul doesn't say, if you've just become a Christian, wait a little bit. Oh, if you've been a Christian for 70 years, you can put your feet up and relax. That's not what he says. He says, if, given all that we know of God, if you believe that God is who he says he is, give. Yourself, it makes sense. It is the only fair response to give ourselves fully and wholly and worship sacrificially to sacrifice ourselves and our lives for God. Two simple verses, two simple, and they're like massive. We're not even into the second one yet, that'll be next week. (laughs) It's massive. But how many of us have read that part of Romans and read scripture and gone, oh yeah, that's really cool. Flip. Next page. The word of God is massive. Our sacrifice of our bodies, of our everything, in reverence, in adoration to this amazing God is sensible and fair. But it's not fair that I have to do that, Adrian. It's not fair. What do you mean it's not fair? God gave Jesus to die on the cross for you. He's giving you eternal life. He's giving you salvation. Yes, it's fair. It might be rough, but it's fair that you would have to give of yourself for God. That's rough to hear, I know. And it's rough to say, and it's rough to even sense because in my life, the amount of times I said, God, it's not fair that you're asking me to do this. Why am I the one you're asking to sacrifice, God? Why can't, somebody, why can't Steph take that sacrificial lamb for this time? I don't want to do it. Let Steph do it. It's not fair, God. Why am I the one? Adrian, it is fair. If it's unfair, it's unfair in the other direction, that actually what he's given you is so much more valuable than what he's asking you to give. But he says, Paul says, it's fair and sensible that you would give yourself sacrificially for what he's already done because, oh my goodness, what he's done. Oh my goodness, what he's done. And so sometimes we think, well, I'll give a little bit. I'll sacrifice a bit, but I can't go the whole thing. I'll do, I'll do enough just so that I feel good about myself. Or, or I'll do enough just so that I'll keep Adrian off my back and he can stop hassling me and annoying me. Or, or I'll do enough so that dot, dot, dot. But God is clear with us. The dot, dot, dot isn't enough. Because that dot 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 is being lukewarm. That dot 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 is saying yes, but. And God is clear about being lukewarm. In Revelation 3, verses 14 through 22, it's on page 1236. If you want to turn to it, I'm just going to read it. It says this These are the words to the church in Laodicea. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold or hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth. You do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from uh, from me gold, refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to, to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's a heavy bit of scripture. It's Revelation. We don't like to preach from Revelation. We, we People stay away from Revelation because it's, it's apocalyptic. It's the end of earth, end of times kind of scripture. And it's often also very confusing because it's very metaphorical and descriptive and there's all these crazy beasts and you're like, ah! But there's some things that are very clear. This church, the Church of Laodicea, is the last of seven churches addressed in Revelation. And it, this harsh pronouncement suggests that the Christians in that place were wavered in their commitments to the Christian faith. At the time when, uh, of that church, uh, the Roman emperor was a guy called Domitian, and he was notorious for being one of the first Roman emperors who not just wanted to be worshipped as a deity, but he declared himself to be God. And he expected everyone to worship him as such. The difficulties that this placed upon the Christians of that area were expressed in detail through the book of Revelation. Those who refused to worship the image of the beast, of the emperor, were killed. Christians could no longer buy or sell unless they had taken the mark of that emperor. Their whole lives were being flipped upside down by what the world was saying and doing, and there were Christians going, ah, I mean, I love God, but this guy is telling me, and I've got a, and the pressure of the world was pulling him away from God, God had asked him to do. Does that sound familiar? Does that look familiar? Oh, I I love God, but the world is telling me I have to do this. I love God, but the world is telling me I have, I love God, but I love God, but, and God is really clear. You're lukewarm. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're not on fire for God. And you're not cold. You're not even against him. You're kind of like in this random bleh. And we see from this verse in Revelation that our worship, which is our sacrifice, is to be all or nothing, not lukewarm. That's harsh, isn't it? You're probably sat there going, Adrian, I don't like you. So I'm quite comfortable in the, in the giving some, but not all. It's not painful to give some, but not all. It doesn't hurt my bank account. It doesn't hurt my muscles. It doesn't hurt my brain to give some, but not all. I'm not going to tell you to give more. But if we're going to go to scripture, God tells us to give more. God tells us to give all. You're lukewarm. You're kind of here and then. I'll spit you out. Now, I'm not sure about y'all, but I don't want to be spit out by God. <laughs> I don't want to be in that place where God says, Yeah, you kind of sort of did it, but nope. You gotta be on fire for God. You gotta give your whole life for God. The thing is that we all struggle with seasons where we are lukewarm. Where we are striving to maintain a commitment to Christ, but where we falter. I've been there. Don't get me wrong. I'm not not preaching and saying, hey, guys, this is really easy. Do what I do. (laughs) It's not easy. But the fundamental question is, when you became a Christian, did you include a surrender to get engaged in the mission of God? Did you include surrender to everything that God calls you to? Or did you become a Christian and say, thank you for what you've done for me, and I'll take that. My job's done. Because actually, we have to have personally engaged in the mission of God, offering our time, our talent, our treasures. And this is a big one, as a blank check to him. It's not saying, I'll give you this much of my time, this much of my treasures, this much of my talent. It's, hey, God, this is my talent. Where do you want to use it? These are my treasures, what do you want of them? This is my time, what do you want of me? And the beautiful thing is that as we do that, God isn't gonna say, you're gonna become a pastor and you're gonna live 24-7 for God. Not all of us get called into ministry of this form. But as you give that blank check, God is gonna say, hey, in your place, this is how I want you to live sacrificially for me. As you're hanging out in your groups, in your crafting, in your stamps, in your sports, in your youth groups, in your wherever you are, this is how you're going to live sacrificially for me. This is what I want from your life. This is what you're going to give. So often we create our own plans and say, hey God, this is what I'm doing for you. Isn't it cool? But what God wants us to do is say, hey God, what do you want me to do for you? What is it you are asking for me? Here is my everything. The reason our tithes and our offerings are part of our sung worship is because we believe that giving is part of our worship. The reason I always say like a broken record, give as you are led to give, is because I don't want you to feel pressure of Adrian saying, put money in the pot. (laughs) it's Because we should be saying, God, how much of what I have are you asking me to give? He might surprise you and say, you know what, half of what's in your bank account, give it away. Maybe to the church, maybe somewhere else he might surprise you even further to say, you know what, don't touch it yet. You feel pressure from those around you who are expecting you to put your hand into a little bag. Don't feel that pressure because guess what? I've got plans for your treasures. They're not in this place yet. But that decision is not for you to make or for me to make. That is a decision that God makes and we have to listen to him. There's clear teaching about our giving to the church. There's all that stuff. But I'm talking about the offerings. I'm talking about everything else. What is God saying to you? Are you on fire? Now, what's it look like to be lukewarm? Some, some examples, but it's not exhaustive. Lukewarm Christians don't really want to be saved from their sin. They just are they thankful that they've got forgiveness from it, if that makes sense. They want to maybe keep on having those moments of sin and they enjoy the sin, but they're thankful that Jesus brings forgiveness. Lukewarm Christians are moved by stories about people who do radical things for Christ, yet don't actually do radical things themselves. Lukewarm Christians equate this kind of partially cleaned and sanitized life as holiness. But we know that holiness is more than just a bit clean. Lukewarm Christians rarely share their faith with their neighbors or their coworkers or their friends. Charles Spurgeon said, you're either a missionary or an imposter. Those are heavy words from good old Spurgeon, aren't they? Lukewarm Christians think about life on earth much more than they do eternity in heaven. Lukewarm Christians love their luxuries and rarely give to the poor in any form of sacrificial way lupe Christians do not live by faith. Their lives are structured so that they never have to. A guy called David Platt says, if you're not in a place where you feel desperate for the Spirit of God, then there's no way you're on the front lines of the mission. When you're on the front lines, we feel desperately our need for God's help. Now, I don't know about you, but I see myself in a few of those lists. In that list, I kind of go, ooh, mm-hmm. And if not now, I have seen myself. And if not now, I have potential of falling on that list. And there are so many other things. Lukewarm Christians give God their leftovers, not their best, not their first. The thing is being hot, being on fire, isn't becoming a street preacher and telling everyone that they're gonna be going to hell. Isn't giving yourself as a sacrifice, it's really giving yourself as a sacrifice to God, how he wants you to do it. Loving God with all your heart, mind, strength, and so loving your neighbor as yourself. Making disciples, not by condemning them, but by loving them and teaching them like Jesus taught. Uh, An on-fire Christian is not just on Sunday. An on-fire Christian is not just during the day for me and about me, but all day for him, about him, and where he's leading me to everyone else. And so we read and we know that Jesus is at the door knocking and the question then becomes for us, are we in or are we out? You can't kind of sort of go in and sort of go out. That's lukewarm. This verse for the year for us, this, this, what God is asking of us is he's saying, hey, go all in. Go all in. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm incredibly excited by that. But I'm also personally incredibly nervous by that. Hey, God, what are you going to ask me to sacrifice that I have yet to even see or recognize? It's not about y'all. It's about me. I believe God is speaking to us as individuals as well as as a church. Hey, God, what are we going to have to sacrifice as a church? How are we going to worship you with everything? Everything. Are we wholly and fully in for his mission, not our own, for his direction, not our own? Are we willing to sacrifice ourselves, our comforts, our desires, our preferences, our wants? Are we willing to go and give everything to God, not just a bit, all of it as our worship, as reverence and adoration for God? The beautiful thing about him knocking on the door is he's not going to force himself. He's not going to make us sacrifice and make us worship him. And again, another beautiful thing is that the way he's asking you to sacrifice might be very different from the way he asks the person next to you to sacrifice. might be the same. We might have all fallen in the same conundrum where God's saying, Hey guys, wake up. But there might be something in your own life And as we've been speaking about it, listening about it, being challenged by it, maybe not liking it because, hey, who wants to sacrifice, right? It's giving up what we're comfortable with, what we love, what we hold amazingly tight. Giving something like that up for something greater. But God is greater. I promise you he is. And if you don't want to take my word for it, sacrifice whatever it is that you're holding on to for him and you'll see how amazingly greater he is how he will bless you, how he will meet with you in new ways, how he will just wow your life. And he probably, hopefully, already has. But he doesn't just do it once. God isn't in the business of like, blessed once, sorted, forget about me now. Hey, blessed once, sorted, forget about No, he's like, hey, the more we spend time together, guys, the more we spend time in his presence, the more we ask God, what is he? The more we see Him, the more we experience him, that real presence of God that we talked about just a few weeks ago is with us, in us, among us. And the more we focus on him, the more we go, wow, how awesome is he? But he doesn't force us. He doesn't force us. So are you in or are you out? Let's pray.